This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. In West Virginia, good food is as plentiful as picturesque backdrops or friendly smiles you might get from your neighbor. And it doesn't matter what part of the state that you're in, a good meal or restaurant isn't hard to find. And today, we talk with one of West Virginia's top chefs, Paul Smith, who's hoping to make the Mountain State a food destination for those who haven't quite yet discovered the great cuisine tucked away in these hills. Yeah, it's a fast and fun conversation. We discuss where his passion comes from, how somebody even becomes a chef. And we also have a fun time breaking down the unique role of a chef. Because yes, they want to curate a delicious menu, but they also play an essential role in setting the ambiance in the mood of a restaurant. So whether it's a high-end Appalachian restaurant, or a Filipino spot for friends, or even a sports bar for someone looking to kick back a few beers and watch the big game, the chef plays a major part in setting the tone of each establishment. And we also throw in some tips for Valentine's Day, because we all know that that's just around the corner and you don't want to mess up Valentine's Day, one of the few days of the year that you really just don't want to mess up, so stick around for that. So let's get to it. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, welcome into this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. CJ Harvey here, Cooper Zimmerman, my co-host, as always. Coop, good morning to you. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Yep, we've got Chef Paul Smith with us today, one of the most well-known chefs across the state of West Virginia. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So I'm always so interested in a chef's story because, okay, like we know some of the things that you've done in Charleston and we'll get to all of that, but like to to be a chef, you've got to go to these great culinary schools. You've got to travel the country and the world. Like how does that even happen? How do you even start like when you're growing up and you're like, I want to be a chef, but then like you're in New York City and Napa Valley, yeah. you know, like how does yeah. this even happen to where you have to go to these world renowned culinary schools to become this this world renowned chef almost? How does that even happen? <laughs> well, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, thanks for saying I'm world renowned. I'm, I'm definitely that <laughs> in my mind, but maybe, maybe not in reality. Um, no. So, you know, I started out. Uh, you know, large Italian family. My grandfather worked in an alloy uh, power plant up in the Montgomery, Gully Bridge, Falls View area. We obviously as a, you know, an Italian uh, immigrant, you know, his grandfather, his father, he came over, they worked in the coal mines, they worked in these plants, but it was always food that kind of we always did on Sundays. I remember going to Boomer Hill, and the fish family, that's my mother's maiden name, we would get together and there were 40 of us, right? So all of the, you know, 
the guys were making wine. There was always wine flowing. There was always the smell of fresh bread and pasta sauce and meatballs and, you know, just all of those things that, you know, I, it just, it just felt like home. Right. And so when my grandfather on Fridays, he would work at the Glen Ferris Inn, I would stand on a milk crate and stir the sauce so he could go out and smoke his cigars or, you know, maybe drink his little lighter than, than dark coffee. Maybe it was Jack Daniels, maybe not, who knows. <laughs> uh, but I, I was uh, making sure that the sauce didn't burn. So it was really, that's how I started. Um, you know, I went to Charleston Catholic. I grew up here. I was born in Morgantown, uh, lived in St. Albans. And then, you know, we moved to Charleston. My mom uh, and dad both worked super hard to, you know, put my brother and I in, in, in private school. I, we both played sports. We both um, went to Virginia Tech. My brother played four years of soccer. I played uh, maybe four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's another thing. You know, I, I like the social aspect of, of cooking and, and mm-hmm. really, you know, that drew me to it. You know, my, my philosophy on cooking is two things. Buy the most seasonal and the highest end local ingredients you can and do as little to them as possible. But for me, cooking is more of the experience. It is the restaurant coming in and not only having great food, but great service. You know, I, I say, you know, food makes strangers friends and friends family, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's sharing a meal. Um, I think over the last two years with the pandemic, it's been even more evident that food, uh, you know, we've kind of gotten back to like the uh, kind of what my, you know, those Sundays on Boomer Hill, right? Everybody's eating together, family time, family meal. And that's what we call it in restaurants too, is that meal before service. But, you know, I think everybody has had to kind of cook for themselves and get back to sitting around the dinner table or, you know, uh, with the TV on and, and hanging out as a family. So yeah. I think if there is a silver lining with the pandemic, it is that, but yeah, I, uh, so I went to Virginia Tech, maybe, um, maybe had a little bit too much fun uh, through, you know, I was in the hospitality management program and through an internship, I came back to West Virginia. I worked at Chef Dan's restaurant, which was on the corner of uh, Leon Sullivan and Lee uh, mm-hmm. in the old saddle shop. Uh, ended up working my way from, you know, I started as a dishwasher, you know, uh, way back. Um, ended up transferring to West Virginia State. You know, back then, the chef, you know, being a chef wasn't the rock star status that it is now. Back then, it was a little more you're behind the wall. Um, you're you're just serving dinner. You you weren't coming out and talking to people. You weren't people weren't asking you what your philosophy was and where the right. food came from. It was just kind yeah. of like, oh, this food's good, right? Yeah, yeah. This guy cooks. He cooks good food. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I don't know who's back there. I don't know if I want to know who's back there, but yeah, <laughs> something's coming out. It's pretty tasty. <laughs> um, so. I went, I I transferred to West Virginia State, um, got my uh, two associates in hospitality management and then, um, you know, restaurant management and then got a bachelor's in human resources. And then I went to the CIA in Hyde Park, New York. So uh, Culinary Institute of America, my chef at that time, Chef Dan was like, hey, you're at the point where you're going to have to go to school. And, And I guess that was to bring back one, what you said. There are two different ways you can do it. You can go to culinary school, whether it's a, uh, a place like Carver, um, a local culinary program that maybe is, is local, um, and you can get just as much out of that as you can out of the big boys, you know, the Johnson & Wales, the Le Cordon Blues, and the CIAs. Mm-hmm. 
You could also go up through the school of hard knocks, you know, and that's, right. you know, a, a self-taught chef. Yeah. Um, and then, and kind of work uh, under some fantastic chefs and, and kind of go up that way. I was a little, because my parents wanted me to graduate from college first. Cause they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a chef, that's not a real profession. You're going to, you're <laughs> just trying to drink beer and, and yeah, hang out yeah. and cook, right? Uh, which maybe, which may have been the case at that time, um, <laughs> you know, but so I went up to CIA and really just immersed myself into food. Um, so I, I did my internship at the Ritz Carlton in Naples, Florida. I surrounded myself with the best people and the best chefs that I could anytime that any of the chefs, uh, needed help on the weekends with the catering or whatnot. I was the first to volunteer same with at the Ritz Naples, you know, at the Ritz Naples, there was a couple of guys, Mike Voltaggio, which everybody knows now from top chef. He and I came in at the same time. He came from the Greenbrier. The uh, executive chef, Lawrence McFadden, who was a, I mean, maybe the best chef in the world, certified master chef. You know, these were the guys that I looked up to and got to work side by side with and got to learn from and also got yelled at. I mean, you know, that's that's part of it. You know, you're we're working, you know, 100 hours a week and it is hot and hard and sharp and fast and mm-hmm. mean, <laughs> but yeah. also rewarding, you know, um, so after culinary school, you know, it was, it was great. Loved it. I, I wanted to continue my education. And just like now owning my own restaurant, um, I wanted to be able to teach and not have to hire a pastry chef. So I went to Napa Valley to the CE campus, uh, continuing education campus of CIA called uh, CIA Greystone <clears throat> and um, study pastries for another year. And that's where I'll tell you, man, that guys, that's where everything clicked. It took you being in Napa. It really did. And there's that point in your career where, where like everything just falls into place. Right. I was living with three other world-class chefs. Um, We were, you know, I was working at the wine spectator restaurant in the morning, going to culinary uh, pastry school uh, in the evenings working uh, in a winery at Farniente Winery on the weekends. And, you know, you look around and you've got a bay tree in the yard and you've got avocado and you've got grapes literally everywhere. And you're like, wait a minute. Okay, so bay, trees, kumquats, figs, like it literally was farm to table. And I didn't even know, like that was a term, obviously, but it wasn't the term that's used today. Yeah. So that's where everything just fell right into place. It was like, cool. pick this, use <laughs> this, put a little salt and pepper on it. You don't, I mean, I'm classically French trained. I could drown stuff in butter <laughs> and cream and make it taste yeah. wonderful. But it was really about the ingredients and about letting the ingredients speak for themselves. Um, and, and, and really knowledge is power, right? Yeah. So I, I, I studied wine, I studied beer, I studied food and I was surrounded by all of like Napa Valley as with any tourist area, but especially there with the viticulture and the food and hospitality culture, everybody knew everything about it. So it was, it was impossible not to like, you know, we would come home from class at nine o'clock, our friends that would pour wine at Duckhorn or Farniente or Krug or all these, you know, Charles Krug, all these 
fantastic wineries would bring all these half drank bottles over and we would cook and talk about food and wine. And it was like, it was literally heaven. It was like, this is, this is awesome. That's not a bad job here. (laughs) Yeah, right? Exactly. Cooper, breaking news. Mr. B was named the best West Virginia made food product. I know you big potato chip guy. So this was like, uh, this, this certainly was something that you were paying attention to. Does not surprise me one bit. Mr. B chips is the only chip that I actually consume. So it's a delicious chip and I <laughs> oh, will- Oh, no way. I, I was no, there's no way that that's the only potato chip that it you- It is. I'm a loyal <laughs> fan of Mr. B because of the incredible entrepreneurship, philanthropy efforts from Marianne Kettleson, the CEO of Mr. B chips. And it's a, look, she makes an incredible chip. Why not make it exclusive to my diet to have uh, Mr. B chips? You know what though? I can picture you sitting down at a restaurant and like the sandwich comes out and then they're like do you like chips or fries and you're like pass i've got my own and then you just bust open (laughs) (laughs) potato chips and just use that instead but it is pretty incredible they've got all these different flavors original sour cream and onion barbecue honey barbecue dip style cheddar sour cream jalapeno salt and vinegar they even get the potato stick style like the thin little potato chip styles do you have like a favorite that you go to i would say barbecue honey barbecue but uh what what about you do you have a favorite barbecue is a staple definitely but you can't really miss with the original if you're at a barbecue if you're at a cookout if you're playing golf i will throw those in my bag uh they're guaranteed to be people's uh, favorite little chip little uh snack that they have so i'm more of a classics i like to play the classics barbecue and original yeah, I, I like I, I really cannot just get into like the all the other little flavors like I, I don't know like jalapeno man I, I don't know I'm, I'm still working my taste buds but Mr. B definitely a great product so I you know we'll it, I'll be willing to give it a try I guess. MrB.com, Marion Kettleson. She's an incredible lady. They make the Mountaineer Media Podcast possible. Thank you to them. Support them. They're a West Virginia company. And go to MrB.com and show your love to them as well. Let me ask you this. You you spoke about like a a good chef or maybe what you find most enjoyable is getting in or creating the experience. And I want to like bring this hypothesis by you because I'm, I'm someone who I love, I love cooking, right? I love cooking um, for myself or other people. Um, And for oddly, I like study like chefs. Like I'm addicted to watching like chef's table. And like, I like, like obsessed with like the late Anthony Bourdain and like the famous Argentina chef, Francis Mallman. Like I like studying these people, um, in a couple of different ways, but what I think, and hear me out if this makes sense, like a chef, what separates like a person who can cook well and a master chef is like a chef, a master chef is someone who sees themselves as like a curator of like the ambiance that they want to like put out in the room, right? So that is not just cooking a good steak. That is like the lighting, the flowers on the table, the temperature in the room, the music, like, like you said, the service. Like I think the very best chefs are like obsessed with that sort of thing. And all those sensory experiences experiences that you get in a high-end restaurant that influences how you feel about the food of course but like that is part of the process and experience that you're almost like putting on like a play every night like if that makes sense right and those people are coming there into your restaurant and that's like your amusement park and they're getting an experience out of it like does that does that make sense does that resonate with like what you try to do when you think of delivering your quote-unquote in product to the people 
that what you said, I could not have said better myself. It actually gave me chills because that's what I say all the time. You know, when I go in to restaurants and do consulting, sometimes I'm not even talking about food. I'm talking about what happens, like those moments of truth. When you walk through the front door, you know, <clears throat> we went to Francis Mullman's restaurant in Miami last year, my wife and I did, and you could smell the smoke coming into the hotel and you walk in and it's, it's an experience, right? right? I mean, you think about him, you think about, uh, you know, growing up in Patagonia, you think about, you know, I'm a huge, I mean, I think all of us have to be a study of the people that came before us, whether it's Escoffier mm-hmm. or, or Anthony Bourdain or Francis Mullman, right? So his experience in his restaurant was one of the best I've ever had. That mm-hmm. Our server was, had been in the kitchen and I was asking him questions. And I, I try not to say I'm a chef when I go right. to a restaurant because I don't right. want to be that D-bag that's like, you're right. a chef, I could do this right. stuff, right? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah. But, but, I, but I literally through that meal, the server had worked in the kitchen. He was so passionate about it. And he had me. Like my wife was like, you have an instant man crush on this dude. And <laughs> this is awesome. And, and the food tastes so much better. And everything looks better. And mm-hmm. not that my wife could look more beautiful, but she did. And, you know, <laughs> everything was just heightened, right? It was like, this is awesome. I, and this is what he, you're exactly like curating the experience, telling the story through food, but also through your, uh, your staff, your team. You know, if, if there is a philosophy that that chef has, and, mm-hmm. you know, the diners want to know what it is. And, and mm-hmm. I, what you said, I could not say it better. It is about the full experience. It's about, it's about everything. You know, when my big things in, the, in my restaurants are someone being greeted immediately. Because mm-hmm. when you walk into a restaurant, you don't really know what to do. You know, 1010 is a reservation-only restaurant. So, like, do I seat myself? Wait, what do I do? It's, very, it's really small. There's a seat at the bar. Should I go take that seat? I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're not greeted immediately, you you start feeling self-conscious. You're like, wait, mm-hmm. are people looking at me? Right. You know, do I'm I look too early. I'm too late. <laughs> Whatever, right? You know? Um, so those are those are big things for me. But um, yeah, you're you're 100% right. And to be a study of the guys and the ladies that came before us is huge um, because we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just adding our own spoke to it, right? Yeah. I'm not I'm not a scoffier. I'm not creating a, a brigade system or really the mother sauces or these things. I'm just following the rules and then breaking them. Yeah, it's also I'm sure a balance to like you think of West Virginia that has a state that has such a strong sense of like culture and people and like we have values and all these things, maybe more so than any other state, the intangible, what makes a West Virginian a West Virginian and what, what makes it feel like to be in West Virginia. When you do a restaurant in West Virginia, I think the risk or when people come in, it's like, do you want to try something new and brand new? Or do you say, do I want to honor the, like the region, the area when you built out the menu for your restaurants, like how much, mm-hmm. like, did you think about that? Like, and what will, what was in your head like how do I kind of honor the traditional stuff that people want but also maybe kind of pushing them out of their comfort yeah. zone to maybe try yeah. a little something new it's not a burgers and wings it's a little bit different than that or something like that yeah you're you're I mean you're literally I, I don't know if you read my mind right before this but you know both of the things that you've just said are exactly right you know I think sometimes chefs do what chefs want to do 
this is what I like. This is what I want to cook. I want to do foie gras and sweetbreads. And like the normal person doesn't really want offals, right? They don't right. want finest glands of a calf. It's a little strange, but if you can earn their trust through things that are either, you know, not run of the mill, but like recognizable, right? So we have shrimp and grits. It's not your typical shrimp and grits. It's, you know, corn and scallion grits with white cheddar. And then, you know, our shrimp is on skewers with uh, Angelo's old world sausage, which is a local sausage and peppers and onions. So it's still shrimp and grits, but we've kind of blown it up and put it back together. And I think you're right. You have to give the people what they want, but mm -hmm. you also have, can twist it in a way that they haven't had it before. You know, you're not, I, I think people will be, Hold on, hold on. Not You're still... intimidated. Um, yep. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, continue. You know, you, you have to feel like that, you know, again, earning their trust, right? right. You know, it, we have, I didn't want to put a filet on the menu because everybody else has a filet on the menu. But, yeah. you know, we do two four ounce medallions, you know, with a baklava carrot. So we've taken baklava ingredients and blown them up and put them back together on a carrot. Um, so, so you're, you're right on, on that. But again, it's also using what's local. It's taking that, those Appalachian ingredients, those beans, those grits, those staple indigenous ingredients, and then elevating them to where it's not just, you know, cooking it in bacon fat, you know, I can take those green, those, those, uh, you know, half runners and make, leather britches out of them and then i can cook them in bacon fat and you know i mean sure. i'm not a culinary genius when in doubt i just wrap it around <laughs> it right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you know it's those little things that i think you know to get back to what makes a chef different from your home chef number one it's thinking everything through so it's it's the experience it's on the plate it's textures and flavors and temperatures it's mm -hmm. you know all of the sweet salty bitter you know uh umami and and everything together but then it's not just that because you can do that at home it's doing that a hundred times or or 200 times a at night. scale right it's, yeah. yeah it's creating a piece of artwork every single time and also having the thick skin for it to be judged a hundred times a night By right because i don't think there's yeah. another profession the, the three of us could sit down and we could all get the, the, you know, shrimp and grits and the three of us would have a different opinion on it. Sure. So not only is it tough, it's subjective. And if I do something and it's exactly what I want on the plate, it might not be exactly what you guys want it to be. CJ, if you were going to look for a job in West Virginia, what website would you go to? Um... I get, I've got to guess. Are you going to tell me what website I should go to? If I was looking for a job, CJ, you know what <laughs> I would do? I would go to beamountaineer.com. That's beamountaineer.com. And at that website, CJ, you're going to find Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Won't you tell our listeners about Mountaineer Employment Solutions? I was going to say beamountaineer.com. That was my answer, Cooper, Boom. to answer your first question. That was going to be my answer. But yeah, there's no doubt. Mountaineer Employment Solutions, if you are looking for a job in the state of West Virginia, that has got to be 
your first and only stop. It probably will be your only stop if it's your first stop because these guys are the premier talent acquisition and staffing leader in the state of West Virginia. They serve businesses and job seekers across the state and beyond from their offices in Charleston and Morgantown. So if you're looking for a job, they can hook you up. If you are looking, if you're a business and you need some extra employees, they can help you out with staffing as well. So dude, it's a one-stop shop. If you need help or if you're looking for a job, boom, beamountaineer.com. Go to those guys, Cooper. Yeah, so as a head yeah, chef, like if say you're the head chef and CJ and I are underneath you cooking, like mm-hmm. how, like, would you, you're having conversations with us. So that way we kind of understand all those things and philosophy that way yeah. we kind of, okay, like we're seeing what Paul's trying yeah. to convey here. So that yes. way we kind of, we're not leaving it up to our interpretations. It kind of, it flows down, I guess, from the, the head chef. Does that make sense? Is that how it usually it works does. in a restaurant? Yeah, 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 a- a- absolutely. You know, and it depends on what's, what restaurant or hotel or brigade you're in, you know, I am lucky enough here at 1010 and at both pitches to have like a wonderful team. So I am conceptual. Um, I'm talking about it. I'm writing it down. I'm drawing pictures and I'm kind of mad sciencing it. And then I'm saying, Hey, John, Megan, Nick, Buck, what do you think about this? And then they're going to put in their two cents and then we're going to try to come up with it together. I'm a little more inclusive than some chefs um, because these are the, this is my front line, right? These, and then I also tell, you know, we have lineup every day before service. And so I, you know, address the front of the house team. And I'm like, this is what we have today. These are the soups. These are the popcorns. These are the chips. These are the features. And this is some tidbits behind it. If someone asks, and Mm -hmm. so it's all educational. And then these are the wines or the drinks that we're pairing with it. So, yeah, I mean, when you're, you know, I'm still working on the line. Um, I'm still, I, I will never ask anybody to do anything, including cleaning out the grease trap in my kitchens that I won't do. I will yeah. bust tables. I will talk to the, the, you know, the, um, the Karens of the world, uh, if, if their <laughs> meal isn't, isn't absolutely fantastic. Um, but the, you know, it's, it's very important for me to have, you know, I say it all the time take your craft seriously, but don't take yourselves too seriously. Because yeah. I think a lot of chefs, they just take themselves way too seriously. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're just, the reports of the job that you don't expect, huh? Talking to the Karens, <laughs> doing some dishwashing yeah. when you need to, too. I, hey, I washed dishes last night, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sometimes it it's therapeutic though. You could get a little right. frustration out on that, on the, uh, you know, you're a little upset with the, with the cook that burned the pot. You know, yeah. that scalded something on the bottom, the tomato <laughs> sauce or, or the butter sauce. But at the same time, then I could scrub the heck out of it and get that frustration out before I go home. There you and, go. and Paul, well, I, one more question. Then I'll, I know CJ wants that we want to bring yeah. up a, a couple key projects and initiatives you're working on. But I grew up working, you know, I was like 15, 16, 17, working in um, uh, a, like a catering business. It was like a local yeah. restaurant called Wellington's. It used to be at a oh, golf yeah. course. Um, yeah. Ricky, Ricky, and um, the late David um, and Tom, yes. who kind of ran those places. I grew up working in that restaurant with actually Mason, who's our producer. He's not on screen here. Um, awesome. It's kind of like a family friend. So I grew up in that. I fell in love with, um, and if this makes sense to you too, the like the chaosness of a kitchen. Like it's like, like you said, there's like literally 
nine people within, you know, 400 square feet and there's hot things and it's just like, everything's moving and everyone's like yelling, but it almost is like this like dance that's going on that yes. when it's, when it's done right and correct, and it's not yes. a toxic environment, right? I'm not talking about that, but like, but when it's done right, it's like a, a fun, almost just like, wow, that was like a fucking thrill. Like we just delivered yeah. that night of yeah. like whatever it is, a wedding or a big night at yeah. the restaurant. Is that yeah. part of you just, is that almost like oh, an adrenaline every, rush for like chefs? It like, is. It, it absolutely is. And I think, you know, you, you talk to people that have been in the business like yourself and that's it, right? You know, it's, I mean, it, it literally makes me excited talking about it. You know, it's mm -hmm. that controlled chaos. It's that, yes, chef, heard, you know, behind you, sharp, hot, don't freaking move because I'll burn the shit out of you. You know, <laughs> it is literally, or you're, you know, the, the new guy isn't moving. And so you touch something hot to his hand and you're like, hey, man. I'm right behind you, right? <laughs> like you better move or I'm going to burn you really bad the next time. Pick it um, up. But yeah, you're, you're right. It is, it is like no other profession in the world. It gets in your blood. It gets under your skin. It gets, it, it literally like the hair stick sticking up on the back of my neck right now, just talking about it. It is the heat, you know, it's on the line. It's putting out 150 people. It's like, okay, we're switching from one course to the other all right, we got to get the plates out. We got to get them down. We got to do this. You have this, right. you got this. Okay, go. All right. Yes, chef, let's do this. And then at the end of it, you're all high fives. You, you may have, I may have called you a dumb donkey 20 minutes ago, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, we're, but we're hugging it out, you know, right now because we just did a really good job. And, and then the tough part and a, and a big, a big thing nowadays, things have evolved a lot. You know, I, I was actually with Tommy Grant last night at Carver. I'm uh the on the on the on the executive committee at Carver and you know I do a, an event every year with with Tom with Tom Grant called Foodie Feast and things you think about how things have evolved from when Tom was at Wellington's and it was like I'm the chef just do it as I say to like oh, yeah. now you almost have to do more coaching than telling and you know there's not that chef Dan used to take a paring knife and like stab me in the butt with it because I wasn't working fast enough or hard enough. And, you know, you'd go home at the end of the night and you'd have all these little marks on your underwear from, you know, where the, you know, the, the dried blood stuck your underwear to your ass. Right. Um, and, and that's just not how it is anymore. Right. It, sometimes, I mean, I've, I've definitely gone Gordon Ramsay on plenty of times, but now I save it for specific times because if you continue to do it, then it, it's, it just Everybody leaves you. Yeah, have the asshole. effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Tom was. Uh, Tom was. I. You know. And Tom is. Look, I'm not going to talk about it. It was really. It shaped me as a young man and taught me yeah. a lot of things. But you yeah. definitely. You knew where. You know where you stand in the kitchen, and that's the fun part of it. It's, it. it's fun, and it's. Um. But they definitely. They definitely can be pretty tough on you sometimes. <laughs> no, absolutely. And one of the big things, you know, you look at big guys like Sean Brock, or you know the Tom Colicchios, and you know what we talk about now because I'm in these national groups um, and we're, we're talking about like is mental health. And I know that is a big, big part of today's conversation, not only with professional athletes, but executives. Um, it, it, but in the kitchen, it's, there are so many, you know, you work really hard, you play really hard. Like I um, have had my fair share of issues in the past, um, you know, occupational hazards, substances, um, just depression, um, you know, things that you go through because, you know, like you said, 
at the end of the night, you're high-fiving and it's that instant gratification of what just happened. And we got through it and, oh my gosh, it was awesome. But then I dwell on the one bad thing or the Mm -hmm. one plate that went out wrong or the one thing that was overcooked or undercooked and you drive yourself crazy about it. So now I try to condense the menus, to talk instead of, and coach instead of yell and scream, to really try to limit the amount of stress uh, so the chefs can also have a little more mental, mental and uh, creative bandwidth. Um, And you're not just, just, you know, it's hard, man. I I mean, I Mm -hmm. work a hundred hours a week. My wife doesn't see me. My wife lives in Charleston, South Carolina, but you know, I say it to the, to the team is like, we spend more time with ourselves than we do with our families. So we've got to treat each other with respect and, if it needs to be done and I tell you it needs to be done right now, I'm not upset with you. Maybe at the time I am, but, but, you know, it, it is that, but you know, the mental health we have to really kind of keep in mind because there's a lot of, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of physical, mental um, substance. There's a lot of stuff in our industry that, that we have to address and that I address on a mm-hmm. daily basis, um, you know, because I've gone through it and I don't want to see, I don't want to see my team go through it. I want to, I want them to learn from my mistakes um, and, and go forward and be a spokesperson of what could happen if you don't get things under control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's that balance between obsessing mm-hmm. too much, mm-hmm. but also understanding that it, yeah. you, you do that too much, then that ultimately just, I mean, it blows your head up, you know, and then oh, makes it difficult for absolutely. everybody else in the kitchen. It, you know, and, and if you, if you get it, to where you think you're above people, you know, or you're the chef and you don't have to do dishes or you don't have to do this, or you're just a, an asshole to people in your dining room because, you know, they don't know. You don't have to be pretentious about the food. It's our job to educate. It's our job to create that experience. It's our job to make it fun. I could, you know, say, oh gosh, you don't know what that is. You know, it's beef bourguignon. It's the <laughs> oldest thing and, you know, blah, 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 you know, but I can, but actually, you know what, this is what we do. It's beef bourguignon and, and this is our twist on it. And it goes back to, you know, Escoffier and old school French. It's, you know, they had, you know, harder cuts of beef, you know, more worked because that's what the peasants ate. And then they usually had some pretty crappy wine that they made and they yeah. put it together and made it something beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, that's the thing. And, and I try to, I try to keep everything in mind and try to keep everything in front of me because, you know, I'm, I'm like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a, I'm a pretty visible person in the community, but I also, when I go to a catering, I'm keep it, I keep it in my mind that I'm there to work. Cause when you think you're a part of the party and you think you're, we're always equal with everybody. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm trying to not say that like, we're not servants. Right. We are serving, but also someone's going to hand me a dirty plate or a dirty dish or a napkin. And I've got to suck up my pride and take it and say, take thank it you back. very much. Yeah. <laughs> because if I don't, and I don't instill it in my servers or my, uh, my, my crew, they're going to be offended by it, but we're yeah. always there to work. Right. Cooper, are you looking to buy or sell a home in Kanawha, Putnam, or Cabell counties right now? I'm not, but I might know somebody who is. CJ, what should they do? 
Yeah, so look, this is as easy as it gets. You're gonna skip on over to buildingappalachia.com because they are gonna be able to help you out if you're looking to buy or sell in Kanawha, Putnam, or Cabell counties. Those guys at Building Appalachia are great. So you just head over to their website and then there's literally a link. I'm looking at it right now. It says, we buy houses in West Virginia, we sell houses in West Virginia, and you can click the tab, sell a home, buy a home. Easy as that, easy as that. And then you're gonna get a call from those guys. They're gonna wanna come check the place out. They're gonna give you a cash offer. So man, if you need cash trying to sell a property, dude, they, they'll have it to you. And, and, and these guys at Building Appalachia, just uh, they've got it figured out. Jordan and Jacob, we had them on the podcast. You heard their story. You know their mission of trying to make West Virginia a better place to live and work. No hidden fees, no commissions. Call Building Appalachia 304-881-8487 or go to buildingappalachia.com. The link is in our bio and all of our social media. Get connected with them to buy, sell, or invest in real estate in Southern West Virginia. And so... I'm always fascinated about when a new restaurant pops up, we can talk specifically here in Charleston, obviously, um, 1010, high end American restaurants, you know, the pitch is more of like a sports bar and grill. But then I know Mm -hmm. you've done consulting with places like Barcada, which is Filipino, you know, you've got to have some range, right? You've got to have range of designing and curating these menus. I mean, how do you, where does even some of these processing, where does the process begin when you're, you're trying to do things that you're talking about and having certain things yeah. at 10, 10 that you wouldn't have at a Filipino restaurant. And whatnot. Sure. Great question. And I think it, both of these are, are things that you, you both have hit on. It's about the experience. It's about curating what that restaurant is. You know, um, I, I say this a lot to restaurant tours that I'm consulting with. You can't be all things to all people. You have to stick to your guns. It is a Filipino restaurant. We have to use Filipino ingredients. We have to go back to the classics like adobo or punset or, you know, lumpia, but we can make, so I went and, and it's all education. It's all immersing mm-hmm. yourself in that culture and mm-hmm. then thinking about it from a diner's perspective and from a, and from a process perspective, right? Like, how can I streamline this to where I don't have to take 47 steps to do it? And how can I batch it to where I'm not losing quality and ensuring consistency, but streamlining it to where it doesn't take 25 minutes to cook. Yeah. Um, so all of these things come into it. Number one, I have to know more than, than everybody. Like I've got to immerse myself in the culture. I've got to immerse myself in Appalachia for 1010 in sports bars. I've got to look, I've got to keep up with the trends. Yeah, I've yeah, got to, yeah. you know, I went to 12 different Filipino households. Lucky, luckily I have a ton of Filipino friends and barcadas means like your inner circle or your homies. So like when I would go over to, you know, the Cinco's or the Delgras or the Amores in high school and be at their family gatherings, I'm a little taller, I'm a little wider. And they're like, who's that? who's that dude? And, and the, and, you know, one of the auntie would be like, who's, who's that guy in the corner? And they're like, Oh, that's, that's a uh, Carmela's Barcada. And so like you're instantly, if you're a Barcada, you're, you're, you're in. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty so, sweet. Yeah. So that's the name. Right. And um, I'm sure they use so different Jay, language. I'm sure they called yeah. you something else though. Oh, I guarantee Not just it. The- <laughs> but, but they said it, you know, in Filipino. So of course I didn't hear it. 
I saw the glares, so I knew, <laughs> right? Uh, um, and then, and then, of course, you know, that's the thing too. But you have to Americanize it just to touch, mm-hmm. because you know, when I would go in and I would open Carmela or Claire Delcro's fridge, I would see a fish head staring back at me that <laughs> that is there with rice, and I'm like, holy crap, that's crazy, right? So traditional adobo is you know it's soy and vinegar and a little sugar and aromatics and garlic and things like that but they do it with whole chicken right so it's it's really again you get back to that peasant you get back to that you know the using the land and using what you had it was more thighs and leg and bone in things so we did so I had to kind of Americanize it a little bit, not to the extent of like the American um, Mexican restaurants where it's mostly kind of steam table and you're just kind of scooping out. Mm-hmm. But like it was, okay, I'm going to use boneless, skinless thigh and dice it because right. we as Americans don't want to navigate around the bone. Also, the diner doesn't want to navigate around the bone in a dining setting. You can go at home and pick up the bone and suck it and you know get all the goodness off of it and around it but like you might not be wear a, a suit dinner. yeah wear a suit <laughs> exactly like, right? i'm not putting a bib on right yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. uh it, at dinner but then you know i also we we so we braise that chicken thigh boneless skinless we put it over the rice we do it with the pickled vegetables but then we did the braised chicken leg because we know what to do with the chicken leg it's just like fried chicken. You don't pick it up and eat it, but it's easy to navigate around. It's one bone. It's one tendon. It's around there. So it was kind of that meshing of the two, keeping it authentic with the, the authentic flavors, but also keeping it to where you think about it from a diner's perspective and say, okay, I got to Americanize it a little. Right. Yeah. Let me ask 10, you. 10 was completely different. You know, 10, 10 was something that we really wanted to, we have great restaurants in West Virginia. We have great chefs. We have great, I mean, fantastic hospitality. Like you said at the beginning, we have this innate, as Appalachians and as West Virginians, we have this innate sense of come in, have some beans and cornbread, have some moonshine, have this jug of wine, come into my house. My house is your house. What? Let's sit down and talk. How are you? You know, but we also have this really innate pride that like, are you here to exploit West Virginia? Um, do we, we want to change West Virginia? Are you here to, to right. change it? I don't want to change, but you know, so we, it's kind of got to be like that happy medium about like, what is the difference? Right. I'm sorry about the phone ringing no, in the background, but that's a good thing. Um, but you know, that's also what we're really bad at as West Virginians is telling the story, right? You know, we Mm want to kind of keep it close to the vest. We want you to come to West Virginia, but we don't like it's America's best kept secret. We want to make sure that like you are treating us and West Virginia with respect. We have to get over this negative stigma of what you think West Virginia is, but once, you know, bringing people from California, bringing people here from New York bringing people here from, you know, whatever city I was living in, Asheville, North Carolina, um, even though they're in Appalachia, they still have this, oh shit, you're from West Virginia, right? Um, yeah, I don't right. know if I want to go there, but once they come here, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to leave. This is yeah. awesome because it's yeah. the people, right? It's, and that's why I wanted to come back to West Virginia. It, it's, you know, 
we we definitely need to get out of our own way uh, on certain things for sure. We definitely have some backward stuff going on. We you know we've got to get up with the times and and specific things, but. No, nowhere, whether it was Naples, Florida, Vera Beach, Florida, Hyde Park, New York, Asheville, North Carolina, Napa Valley, as great as those places were, you know, overseas, um, nothing felt like home because the people like yourselves are, that was just the best. That's what I mm-hmm. missed. Nothing ever felt like home. So, so that's why I came home. And that's the philosophy of 1010 is, is kind of elevating home and making you feel like you're at home but educating you with something a little cooler. Man, that's beautifully well said too. And it's like, you don't want to become a caricature of your own culture, right? We're not trying to like, just be what people want us to be when they come here and experience yeah. it, but it's like, but it's still honoring tradition. Yeah, it's a, probably a never ending yeah. balance, right? It's never ending balance and yeah. trying to find that perfect angle. All right, TJ, you just fired up the grill. You've got some chicken on there. You've got some burgers on there. What are you adding to add some extra flair? Oh, dude, I'm going with Ray's Rub 11 out of 10 times. Ray's Rub is a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. You can throw it on chicken, steak, burgers, veggies, whatever you want. And they've got 21 mouth-watering herbs and spices. So KFC, get that, that secret blend of 11 herbs and spices out of here, dude. 21 herbs and spices packed in this great bottle of Ray's Rub. Cooper, where can people go get Ray's Rub? Two places, CJ. They can go to raiserub.com, get themselves free shipping. They can also go to Amazon and order it and be at your house in two days. It's a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. It's delicious. We had Brody on the podcast. He's carrying on his father's legacy by promoting Raise Rub. It's great. Give it a try right now. Uh, but Paul, we do want to yeah. talk about because you are passionate about some community projects, this concept of rising, you know, I think rising tides yeah. or essentially yes. talk to us about that. What are some of the things outside of the world of restaurant? And I know, look, I told yeah. you, I'm obsessed with chefs and restaurants. I study, I literally yeah. like study this for whatever reason. So yeah. sorry for, for all the questions we hit you with, but no, it's um, all good. But talk to us about some of the, the stuff outside of it. I mean, as you've now grown as an entrepreneur, as a community member, as a, a leader in the community, what are some of the things that you're keeping your eyes on that you think you want to bring, yeah. you know, somewhat of a platform to? Yeah. So I think my platform um, and I think my, you know, you always kind of want to define yourself. You know, I'm, I'm you know, Mike Costello uh, here in West Virginia mm-hmm. or Dale Hawkins or Tim Urbanic. Um, mm-hmm. I say I think those guys are kind of the fathers of and and the new school of like farm to table like i'm all for supporting local farms supporting local buying local i'm not a farm to table chef i don't i'm not going out and foraging mushrooms i'm buying it from george patterson at herschel farms right i'm yeah. letting the farmers do what they do and i'm 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 creating the experience around it i kind of i look at myself as the community chef i want to bring people together i want to bring businesses together i want to bring restaurants together i want to you know, I want to be the the glue or the lie, you know, for a culinary term, um, the liaison between, you know, restaurants. I think there, somebody said it in a Zoom uh, meeting right in the middle of, the, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic that I was on. And, and it was a, it was a few restaurateurs and I won't name names. But one of the restaurateurs, and they were asking us, like, what we were doing to help. This was during the shutdown. This was during when we all had to go, uh, you know, delivery only. And, and restaurants were scared shitless. And we were like, what are we going to do? I had just opened Barcadas 
three weeks before I was in mid renovation. I was in mid renovation and, you know, half a million dollars in at the pitch and at the point of no return at 10, 10. And, you know, I was in the process of selling my house because I had to make sure that I had payroll, right? I lived with my parents for a year and a half to sacrifice for the restaurants. And that's, mm-hmm. that's also what we do, right? That's what we do as restaurateurs, as small business owners in, in general. Um, and one of the restaurateurs said, yeah, you know, we're, we're doing this, this, and this, and we're thinking outside the box and, you know, it's a shame, but not all the restaurants are going to survive, but the ones that do are going to have a bigger piece of the small pie. Yeah. And I immediately hung up and I immediately said, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not buying into that. I want to make the pie bigger. Mm-hmm. And it pissed me off. And and it 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 also saddened me that that's how some and that's how some look at it. Of course, there is competition. I'm not gonna say that there is, but I want it to be friendly competition. There are restaurant chores that I don't care for. There are people that I don't care for, absolutely, but I will work together. I will. I, I want to make the pie bigger. I want to make West Virginia a culinary destination, a hospitality destination, because we have it all. We've got the natural beauty. We've got the adventure sports. We've got the people. We've got that innate sense, like I said before, of hospitality. Come into my house. Come into my restaurant. Come into my boutique shop. Come into my law firm. Whatever it is, I'm going to treat you with respect. And you better treat me with respect. But if I can help get a restaurant back on its feet, get a restaurant started, you know, create a, a better experience for a jewelry shop, create something that is that maybe they're not looking at. But to get 10 cars to stop in the Charleston area, in the northern or eastern panhandle, in southern West Virginia, I don't give. I don't care if they eat at 1010, if they eat at the pitch, if they eat at Sam's Uptown. I don't care where and what they, you know, I don't care what they're doing. I I want them to stop here because I want them to experience West Virginia. And that in itself is what the rising tide is about. What the rising tide is about is about um working together and this tide will raise all of our ships, you know, and if I can be a leader and a catalyst and, and inclusive, we do a rising tide dinner at 1010 where we have chefs from other areas or other restaurants come in. They tell us what they want my chefs to do. And they, we produce it. They give us the recipes, they prep it up. They come in like Jesse Lyons at Coco's Paul Greco at, uh, Sam's uh, and and uh, the red carpet, Chef Evan, Sushi Evan from Ichiban, um, Dennis Harris, uh, you know, all of these people come in and then they get to go out in our dining room and promote their business. Mm-hmm. And if I can lead by example and keep it to where I'm putting our restaurant second or using our restaurant as a catalyst to, um, to promote their restaurants or their donut shop or their candle making business or their, you know, whatever it is across the street. You know, I just want, uh, if I can use the platform and support my community and my West Virginia 
to the best of my ability, then I'm doing my part. And that's why I moved home was to do my part and to get more people to West Virginia. Because the one thing that I've noticed and that you guys probably noticed is when you're busy, when you're busy, there's less bitching, right? There's less complaining about what, Oh my God, I'm not making any money or, Oh my God, this, you know, Charleston is so crappy or West Virginia. Why am I living here or whatever? Right. It's when you're busy and money is coming in and it doesn't even have to be a lot. It's just keeping you busy. And and Mm -hmm. it just stops all of that negativity. And like, again, if the tide is rising, all of our boats are rising. And if and if you jump out and say, what about me? Then you're not thinking about us. Mm. And you're not thinking about the bigger picture, which is to get more people here. Because if you look at it, you know, my wife lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and there's 40 or 50 people a day moving there. And I'm, there may be as much moving out of West Virginia as mm-hmm. are moving in. And so we've got to stop the you know, we're going to just put a little pebble in the hole and make it more fun. I think right now too, you know, we talk about the pandemic. We talk about people getting back to their roots. We talk about people revisiting their dreams and goals. West Virginia can come out of this pandemic smelling like a freaking rose. If we get out of our own way, we are socially distanced, literally by nature. We are a great place to live. We need a little bit more infrastructure, a little bit more, you know, job security. Um, and and pe- we just need to get people here because if they come here and they go to Lewisburg or they go to Fayetteville or they go to Charleston or they go to any of these state parks, you know, think about what a big deal it was to get the national park designation massive, for the massive gorge. Deal, yeah. Massive. But we have to think about this, not about today and tomorrow, but about 10 years from now and how we can help each other as businesses, as entrepreneurs, or as lawmakers to like, hey, let's ease up on these alcohol laws. Because when I when I think about going to Savannah, Georgia, I'm excited because I could go into the Andes Hotel or the Bohemian and I could walk down the street with a cocktail (laughs) and go to the art show or listen to the street performer and just, and nobody's hammered on the street. Well, not nobody, but you know, alcohol <laughs> is not aren't. the savior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think when you think about tourism, you think about food and drink and natural beauty or history, and we've got all of that stuff. We just have to put it in the forefront. Well, yeah. see, look, Paul. That's I mean, that's why I mean, people like you should run for mayor, man, because I I, I love I love hearing from people like yourself because it's it's again what you what you just described is like how can we curate an ambiance that we want to create mm-hmm. in a state? Same thing as a restaurant. Let's blow Absolutely. it out to a West Virginia sized stuff. And I think defaultly, not to like knock politicians, but if we if we sure. almost just put that duty solely on politicians, I think we're going to be consistently mm-hmm. a little bit disappointed. It it has to come from people that live, that work, that own businesses, that want to build their back community and not waiting and saying, oh, someone else is going to do it. No, actually, like, I'm going to step up and try to make this place a better place to live and work like what you've done. So look, man, I mean, in your free time, man, you could you could uh, moonlight like a motivational speaker. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I appreciate that. That that might help make ends meet. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Hey, before we let you go, uh, we'd be remiss to not mention that it's Valentine's Day. Yes. Do you have anything that any advice, any cooking advice, an entree, an easy entree, a dessert, shoot, it could be even a salad for all I care yeah. about. Give me a tip that I can make this Valentine's yes. Day a little special for my partner or you know, anybody uh, listening. 
I tell you, man, it's um, time. Making the time. And again, it goes right back to what we've been curating the experience. You know, think about, it doesn't necessarily, you could do a Marie Callender's chicken pot pie. (laughs) You dip, you know, dip a couple of strawberries, you know, light a couple candles, put a bath bomb in the hot tub, (laughs) you know, whatever it is, it's about the thought, you know, it's about, it's about your significant other knowing or our guest knowing that we thought about them on this day or at this time and going into the little details that it isn't just a it isn't just a random or another monday you know this is valentine's day i care about you i went to the extra nine hey i could have bought you know definitely you can go out and get takeout from you know gourmet fast or chins i mean i shoot chins is closed or you know wherever it is and put it on a nice you know la crusade uh you know kitchenware and and light a candle and you know turn the turn the tv off and the music on and just like have a conversation i think i think that um that would go further than dirtying up the kitchen and having to clean up afterwards or mm-hmm. you know being stressed out about it because that is one of the things that uh that is a little stressful for people is cooking right um, yeah but it's it's really just the thought about curating and i think all of this is about curating that experience you know from uh from valentine's day with your you know boyfriend girlfriend uh friend whatever it is uh so you know your um your your other single friend that that you're both kind of feeling some type of way about, about the day, you know, uh, you know, get together and, and have a good time, drink a little too much or, or not at all. And, uh, you know, just have a conversation. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah, I absolutely beautiful. love it. Well, look, Paul, man, I, look, thank you so much on behalf of, you know, we've interviewed a lot of people and I think I can strongly say that you, you, you bring a lot of energy to the state, to the community and, you know, your heart's in the right place, man. So thank you for all the work that you're doing, man. Keep it up. Well, thank you for getting our story out there. And, you know, you guys just keep it up. We just, we need more people like you guys to get this word out there. So thank you so much for having me. And vice versa. Okay, everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode. And thank you again to Chef Paul Smith for jumping on with us and talking about food, West Virginia, family, friends, everything under the sun, basically, for the last hour. We really enjoyed that conversation. And thank you for everybody that tuned in and still listening. If you want more Mountaineer Media, make sure to hit us up on all of our social channels. We are having fun on TikTok. We're giving you some good tips on LinkedIn and funny videos and pictures and anything else to share on Instagram and Facebook. So make sure to check us out. We're everywhere. And if you have a guest recommendation, as always, please just shoot us a note. We're easy to get a hold of. So thank you guys again for tuning in and we'll be back again soon. Peace.